Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the FortiGuard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. My name is Jonas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amar Lakhani. Amar, how are you doing, my friend? Jonas, thank you for having me on board again for another episode of our podcast. I am doing wonderful, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing great, too. And here in Singapore today, even though it's a bit cloudy and rainy. Um, overall, it feels very good to be here. But talking about those clouds, I just paid quite a uh, bunch of money for some personal subscription fees again for multiple uh, cloud services, which I regularly use. And I just realized how convenient these services, these as a service offerings are compared to self-hosting everything, which, which I did before. And Talking about all of that, I think it's no surprise that on the darknet, there are quite a bunch of ransomware as a service offerings popping up these days. What's your impression when doing research on the darknet regarding these ransomware as a service offerings? Jonas, I actually love that you mentioned that because first of all, I used to like do my own self-hosting for a number of different tools. And then I realized how easy it was that I could just grab a, a cloud-based service and be able to store my files or share my files or, you know, whatever I needed to do. And attackers have definitely caught on to this. Uh, in fact, it's been a little bit, but at Fortigar Labs, I would say starting around 2016, maybe even a little earlier than that, we started seeing what we call Crimeware as a service. And what Crimeware as a service is, it's a very broad umbrella term that includes things like ransomware as a service or denial of den distributed denial of service as a service or other other crime related cyber crime related activities as a service what it essentially means is that a bad guy or a criminal organization has done all the work and they're selling you access to their systems to their web interface where you can just create the actual payload and start distributing the attack in the case of ransomware you get the ransomware attack whether it's in the form of a document or an exe file whatever it is you get that all created for you and they do all the work but they also take a percentage of uh, the payouts that you get. So they usually typically take anywhere between 5 to 50%, depending on how, how well-known that uh, service is. I think you touched some very important points here. So because all those services are available, it means that we don't need to have the skill set by ourselves anymore to actually develop these kind of attacks by ourselves. Similar like if I want to store some software on a legitimate website like Dropbox, for example, I don't need to program a platform to upload all my data. All I need is internet and a credit card. And very similar these days, you can purchase ransomware as a service offerings from the darknet, for example. And same story here. You don't need to be a super sophisticated hacker. What you need to have is credit card, a little bit of internet connectivity, and that's all you need to start from there. And I think the interesting part is that you mentioned it. We already have seen criminal activity back in the days. Back then, even, even if it was quite new, it was very cheap to afford these kind of services. You can have below 100 bucks. It was already enough to purchase a lifetime license. 
And the idea of the criminals were that they offer a certain subscription service where they take a small percentage of every single ransom amount from every attack. And this scaled quite well for them since a lot of people were using these services and they were making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month. You know, you're absolutely right. First of all, a few years ago, it used to be much cheaper if you wanted to find some sort of crimeware as a service, such as ransomware as a service. Uh, these days, it's much more expensive, but there is a big difference. I think a few years ago, the services weren't really that good. Most of them were caught by most security devices. Most of the time, their code was leaked so uh, people could compile them on their own. And a lot of times, they had already been reversed engineered by a security researcher, so we knew exactly how they worked. These days, you'll find it a little harder to find like crimeware as a service on on the dark web or other or other types of uh, you know places on the internet. Uh, the exclusivity is much much greater than it used to be. And the cost to get in is also much greater than it used to be. You mentioned that before you used to be able to pay $100 for a lifetime subscription. That's no longer the case. It's usually, you know, quite a bit higher than that. I would say most of the most of the ones that we've seen that actually have done damage in the past start off at about $1,000 and go even much, much higher than that. Yeah, and I think there are multiple reasons for that because Usually software evolves over time and the same story applies here that these kind of services are way more sophisticated. So for example, just one which we covered this week, the Smaug ransomware as a service, it contains multi-platform capabilities. It has a company mode, which means it provides you the option to get a single key for multiple infected um, clients in a certain environment to make it easier for customers to pay the ransom and get their data back. Besides that, we have offline capabilities and very sophisticated evasion techniques, which makes it way tougher for security layers to detect these kind of systems. Yeah, so Jonas, I'm probably going to butcher the name and call it Smog because that's how I read it in Lord of the Rings when I read uh, Desolation of the Smog. Uh, I think that's the reference of the malware. But uh, you're you're absolutely right. Um, first of all, this is a little more sophisticated from uh, the first first point that it is multi-platform. And what I mean by multi-platform is that it works on Mac and Windows, and that that itself is not a new thing. But I think what is a little different about this is that it has feature parity between both platforms. Normally, we don't find that. Normally, we see ransomware concentrating on Windows platforms, and then it may have some sort of Python module or something really, really basic for uh, for a Mac platform or other platforms as well. Uh, this one does have feature capabilities. Um, a couple of other things that this particular ransomware does is that you can create a unlock key per machine. So if you are the criminal or you are the affiliate that's, you know, basically hired the ransomware as a service and you've distributed, you can create an unlock key per machine, which makes it much more difficult for an organization to unlock a machine. Or you can do an unlock key by a domain or a network. So uh, you can essentially attack a particular organization or company if you're an attacker and then demand a or uh, one lump ransom amount for the entire organization to get their files back. Yeah, indeed. And not only these kind of sophistication heavily increased, but also the customer and victim support is on a complete new level. You can 
these operators they support you on a level where they not only give you access to their platform but also offer you help when it comes to victim communication setting up support channels and they tr really try to make it as easy as possible for you but then again this is all heavily criminal related so they they try to make as much money as possible before law enforcement takes them offline or they have other reasons to stop these kind of attacks. Um, any other closing thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I will say that I think we're going to see popularity of ransomware as a service or anything that makes crime easier. Uh, just because of the way the economy is, I think there's a lot of people with a lot more free time on their hands. Maybe they at one point would have never thought about doing something unethical. And maybe now they, they are uh, just because, uh, you know, the opportunity might be there. It's easier for them. Uh, and I think we got to think about that. It's definitely a way for criminals to make some fast cash. I would say. Well, talking about fast cash, there's another one. There was a joint technical alert, alert from the FBI and CISA regarding ATM cash out schemes. And we have some big players involved here. According to the FBI, there are some nation state attackers like Lazarus involved who were apparently um, responsible for a WannaCry attack back in the days. And in my opinion, again, the ransomware attack, but this one was probably the biggest one we have ever seen so far. And usually when we talk about nation state, it's more about sabotage, espionage. But this one seemed to be a little bit more financially motivated by a sub subset of Lazarus. So a bunch of people part of the group called Beagle Boys. And they used social engineering techniques, spear phishing attacks, water water, watering hole attacks. And um, they had access to some portable executable and DLLs, which injected itself into remote Windows processes to spit out some money from these machines. Yeah, you know, this technique, uh, we've actually covered it at Foreguard Labs uh, a few times, and uh, we have some articles on our blog. It's called uh, ATM jackpotting. And what the technique really is, is that it allows a criminal to go into an ATM, an automated teller machine. Uh, that's, you know, those machines you go put your bank card in, get cash back. Uh, and but. Under this attack, the malware manipulates uh, where the money is coming from, it manipulates the accounts that it's coming from, and it just really, you know, to keep it simple, starts spitting out money. And so when a criminal will walk up to an ATM machine, they will uh, run this malware, and they will all of a sudden get a lot of money from the ATM machine. And uh, they do this over and over again. There's been cases where I've heard of where a group of criminals actually just went down the street in a very busy city and went to every ATM machine and did this ATM. ATM jackpotting type attack. Um, like I said, I've seen it around for a long time now, but it always comes back every few months. And it's not surprising to see that that maybe the attack or the malware or the code behind that is, um, you know, but you know, was published by a nation state, possibly by a nation state. Yeah, there were some very interesting uh, DEFCON talks, if I remember correctly, about these ATM attacks as well. And I think one key point here is having physical access to devices just gives you additional opportunities and often also a little bit more power because you don't need to rely only on network attacks, which you have access from far away. But having access to these devices itself can be quite powerful. So people have, be have been reverse engineering these ATMs and they know pretty well how they work because in the end, everything becomes connected and is just 
part of software and software can be attacked, will be attacked. And in, in software, we find vulnerabilities and no other, no, um, no different here. There's software running in these ATMs. And if you know the right commands to execute on these devices, they will spit out the money for you. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Everything is connected, as they say, and everything is code as well. Uh, ATM machines, as most people probably know, are normally running uh, Windows systems in the background, and they're running a program. Uh, I've actually ran, walked up to a couple of ATMs where I've seen the blue screen of death on an ATM because it crashed, which let me know right away that it was probably running Windows XP. Uh, and up until a few years ago, the majority, uh, you know, a lot of people said the majority of ATMs were running Windows XP. So there was some uh, definitely security concerns out there. Um, you, you know, and I know ATMs since then have been upgraded, but they're still machines. They still need patches and they still have vulnerabilities. Yes. So we need to secure these type of machines like we secure our office environments and our own computers. So it's very important that we train people regarding awareness, teach how to put security layers properly in place. And Talking about a lot of ransomware today, backups are obviously very important as well for availability reasons. With having said that, it was a pleasure again to talk to you more, and I can't wait for another episode with you regarding the 40 Guard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. Anything from your side before we wrap this up? It's always a pleasure, Jonas. Until next time. Until next time, thanks a lot for listening, guys, and see you soon.